2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the
0: DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
1: Welcome to episode 13 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. Frank Saravalli joins us as always. uh, Frankie, how you doing? I'm good. You? Good. I actually, you know what? I think I just called you Frankie for the first time. Is like, is Frankie like the nickname or do you have a nickname? That was actually like all anyone
3: called me growing up. Um, Like it was like my name on official documents at school. And then at a certain point, I just felt like I sounded like a clown and just wanted to become Frank, which (laughs) maybe I still am a clown.
1: All right. Well there you go. So well we'll depend from, from certain answers, then maybe we'll change your the, how I address you. Uh, there's lots to discuss, so let's get right to it. We're gonna have Don Waddell joining us. Um he, he may uh, the most interesting man in hockey, and you'll know you'll know why at the end of the interview. Oh, you know what? He's done so much. He he has got an unbelievable story. And so the Don Waddell interview today is going to be brought to you by uh, jockmarket.com. You can go to jockmkt.com. If you like fantasy sports and you feel you like a little bit of a risk kind of combining with the stock market, it does both. And where it basically happens is you buy the stock of the player when the game starts. And if he gets points, his stock value goes up because his fantasy points go up. So you're playing both markets kind of simultaneously. And uh, the great part is you can try it for free. If you go to jockmkt.com, use the code word DFO20 and you'll get free 20 bucks to start and you can play around and figure it out and you'll have a lot of fun with it. So that's coming up a little bit later on in the show. Let's get to the big news. Um, You know, we've, we've been pretty good in the league for a long time. uh, No COVID, but now uh, the Boston Bruins have quite a few cases, uh, you know, some games postponed uh, against the Buffalo Sabres. You look, I know that the league had pushed the regular season right to May 10th, right to that last Tuesday. And Boston's already had a condensed schedule down the stretch. Mm -hmm. This is going to condense it even more. Do you think we might see the NHL have to use that weak buffer?
3: They, They might have to, um, you know, I was looking at Boston's schedule, like they have some room on maybe that ninth, 10th, 11th range. Maybe you go game on the ninth, a game on the 11th. Um, I, I think they're hesitant to go into mid-May. Um, and to this point, you know, think about all the other issues that have popped up The Dallas stars, not just COVID at the very beginning of the season, but also the games that they missed due to the ice storm there. Um you know, that team's playing four games and six nights for the entire rest of the season. They don't have any two ga- two days off in a row, and they're going right to May tenth. So I think the Bruins are probably in that same window, ninth, tenth, eleventh, somewhere around there. But
1: I don't know if we're quite at mid May just yet. And what that challenge is for the Bruins, everybody knows the East is pretty tight with five teams are battling with, with Philly and and Pittsburgh, Washington's rolling. So they created a little bit of a gap, same with the Islanders. And if all of a sudden you got to condense all those games together, that might be the difference for, for a team that's really struggling with depth scoring to begin with.
3: Yeah. And you know what? The other part that's going to creep in is fatigue. That's becoming like the buzzword. Now we've reached mid-March, almost late March and, You know, you're starting to see games that frankly could be so much better on any, you know, normal given night in a regular season, but with how much hockey these guys have played in a short period of time, some back-to-backs, I know travel's been reduced, things like that. You can just tell some nights the guys just don't have it.
1: And I wonder how much that plays into a lot of players, Frank. And, you know, there's lots of firestorm about Freddie Anderson and the Toronto Maple Leafs and goaltending. Now, the Leafs, I know you looked up the numbers and you told me before we started, they're 17th in the league in save percentage. So, you know, overall, it's not terrible. It's basically just slightly below average. But it's, you know, Campbell and Hutchison have better numbers than their main guy. Uh, You know, Dubas came out and said, hey, I'm willing to trade my top prospect. Do you think there's any chance they're looking at a goaltender like a Bernier or someone else at all, are they going to still be focused on defense and forward? You know, I don't
3: think it's something that they were thinking about previously, but they'd have to be wondering at this point. And then, you know, the next part that comes into play is how much of this is fatigue. Like how much, if we get Freddie Anderson, some rest, like Jack Campbell was hurt for a while, right. And couldn't play. And then they had to go, you know, they were, they were dealing with a situation where should we keep riding Anderson? Should we go to Hutchinson to give him some nights off? And, you know, then you're kind of curious, you know, is Hutchinson going to give you an ability to win? And they were kind of between a rock and a hard place and Anderson maybe didn't get the rest that was required. So I think that's part of it. But I, I gotta tell you, I think there's probably some concern at some level about Freddie Anderson just because I think one of the things that the Toronto Maple Leafs were looking at over last off season was with so many goalies on the market and available, should we trade Freddie Anderson then heading into the final year of his deal? so there was I think there was questions on two parts like one was like Freddie Anderson is so close to a lot of these guys. Do we shake up the core a little bit and send a message that these playoff losses can't happen. They decided to, to bring him back. But th- I think the other part was, is there a chance we could upgrade at the same time? And so they decided against it, but I still think that there's gotta be some level of question mark or concern uh, given the fact that at this point in the season, Freddie Anderson has a sub 900 save percentage. And I, I hesitate Jason quoting those stats only because again, the scoring is a little bit off in the North division uh, to the point where say percentages, because so many goals are being scored are skewed. But the fact that this Maple Leafs team is, you know, kind of repeatedly coming out, scoring three, four goals, and sometimes are coming out with the win. You know, I think that raises the level of concern
1: yeah well the thing about goaltending though is you know it can change from year to year a lot of people can change from week to week oh yeah like you look at you look at Mike Smith and you know just small little change and all of a sudden you know Mike Smith's near the top of the league and at 39 years of age so it'll be fascinating goaltender market in the offseason of UFAs but then there's an RFA right now who is uh, who's lighting it up he's been unbelievable fatigue's not a factor at all Uh, we saw this a little bit in only three games in the bubble but Thatcher Demko has been what Vancouver thought he would be. They let Markstrom go. Thatcher they thought was ready and he's done it. He's been excellent for the Vancouver Canucks and he needs a contract, Frank. Um, like the, you know, Bennington just signed, but he was, you know, pending UFA uh, Demko's not that, but he's only two years from a UFA. What do you see? Like, because there's him, there's Pedersen and Hughes. Like you got a forward, you got a defense, you got a goalie. That's what you want when you build your organization. They're all up at the same time. And, and I think they could all have very different terms and salaries. They could for sure.
3: And what's fascinating to me, Jason, is gonna be the order in with which the Canucks conduct business in the sense of which guy do you get done first? And if it were me running the Vancouver Canucks, which obviously I'm not, I would start with Thatcher Demko because he's in that different position than you mentioned. Uh, you know, with Quinn Hughes, he's a 10-2 C after the season, meaning He can't get uh, an offer sheet. He also isn't eligible for arbitration. Then the next rung up from him is Pedersen, who isn't still eligible for arbitration, but is subject potentially to an offer sheet. So you're safe with Hughes. And then you go one level up from Pedersen in the uh, seniority, if you want to call that. And it would be Thatcher Demko, who's two years away from unrestricted free agency, as you mentioned, such a big part of your team and also eligible for arbitration. One issue with Thatcher Demko is he doesn't really have the number of games played um, to really help his ARB case. You know, his numbers this year have been fantastic and, and that will certainly help, but he doesn't have the track record and being the age of 25 because he played in college and then went to Utica and sort of took the longer development path, which is really typical for goalies. He's not in the same position as, a Carter Hart, for instance, who is in a position where he's played 25 more games than Thatcher Demko has already, even though Carter Hart is a few years younger. So I think you have to start with Demko and then get to Pedersen and then get to Hughes. And the tough part about that is you start to run out of money really fast, right? Because, you know, I just think, you know, just from a philosophical standpoint, too, you mentioned the pillars that the Canucks have and how important each one of those are. No team's any good without goaltending. And Demko's been so good this year and so consistent. I think, you know, Ian Clark's done a really good job with him as their goaltending coach. But more importantly, I think this is a level of success that he can sustain, even with the amount of rubber that he's seeing in Vancouver this year. And so you you lock him up and then you figure out what to do with Pedersen and Hughes.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you, wholeheartedly. Hardly Demko's. I think a little bit more like Pedersen's a really good young player. People have been waiting for him to take that next step, but uh, he didn't take a step this year. Then unfortunately got injured. And, and Quinn Hughes is a dynamic offensive defenseman. Is he? Can he defend well enough to earn like a massive contract? Uh, I, I I could see a shorter term uh, for Hughes for sure. Vancouver would like long term, but I don't think that uh, they'll be offering him the money that he'll want. So it is a fa- it's a fabulous situation to look for. I, I think it's a good one for. For a team for a fan base that's got three young guys that you can, you know, build around for the next many years and know, okay, we got an elite center, we got an elite defenseman, and we got a really good goaltender. And then we'll build out around from that. Now, uh, that's why I've on- been preaching patience in Vancouver. Everyone's so, you know, we
3: need heads to roll. Like, ca- calm down, calm down. You've got four. Pillars. And you left out Bo Horvat there, who's yeah. really blossomed into this tremendous offensive player, driver, and leader. Um, you know, I, I think they're really well positioned. Like, you know, don't sleep on the Canucks. It's just, it, it takes some patience. And I know that market, it runs really short on patience.
1: Yeah. And uh, quickly, before we get to uh, Don Odell, I know he's going to join us right away. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, they've got nine losses six in overtime three in the shootout yet they're sitting in uh, in fourth place like i've never been a huge fan of the uh, the overtime loser point um especially like if you want to get to a shootout okay but like this this is just a prime case they played 30 games they've won 13 right? Like when you're nine, Oh, and nine there to me, what this illustrates, Frank, what I thought the weakness of Montreal is they don't have the elite forwards because in three on three, you play your elite forwards, right? You got McDavid, you got Matthews, you got Shifley, you got, you know, JT Miller with a sick overtime goal on the weekend. And I just, that to me really illustrates what Montreal is losing. And, and the fact that, that, you know, they might make the playoffs by being that bad in overtime is kind of a crime in my eyes. Well, just look at the standings. I mean, you mentioned it, even if you just get half of those
3: games, get the extra point, 30 games played, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, you know, five more points. You're right there in the conversation again at the top, you know, and, and so much of it has been, um, you know, since the start of their, their hot start, you know, the a the, the, the point that's been lost has been such a big killer for them standings wise. And I think the complaint in Montreal though, is that it's their posture to start that it's more defensive instead of aggressive. It's more conservative. And I, I think that's what people would like to see change right from puck drop is throw some of those guys out there that have that dynamic skill even if you're not a McDavid that can get you a goal uh, in those first couple minutes, or at least set the tone for that instead of, you know, sort of the prevent defense.
1: Oh, 100%. You got to put your offensive guys out. You got to go for broke, really, a little bit. But sitting back and playing defensive hockey, hey, I know Anderson got stopped on a break. can't be break. any worse than it's been. Like, yeah. Well, you're right. <laughs> Literally, it can't get much worse than that, Frank. Well, hey, let's get to our, our big guest today. I'm very excited to have the, uh, the GM of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the president. Heck, this guy's got like, I don't know, 16 different job titles. It's unreal what he does with the Hurricanes.
3: Our next guest could legitimately be called the most interesting man in hockey. He was a star at Northern Michigan university, a five foot 10 defenseman who later played exactly one game in the NHL with the Los Angeles Kings. He was one of the final cuts of the 1980 miracle on ice team by virtue of an untimely injury. And after an eight year pro career, he transitioned to management helping eventually the Detroit Red Wings, his hometown team capture the 1998 Stanley cup, leaving shortly, thereafter to become the first GM of the Atlanta Thrashers. Since 2014, he's been president of the Carolina Hurricanes, adding the title of general manager in 2018. Welcome to the DFO rundown, Don Waddell.
2: Thank you for having me and quite the introduction there to get it going.
3: Yeah, so let's start. uh, We're taping this on Saturday, and tonight actually is your 1,000th NHL game, regular season game as a general manager Let's go back to the start though. How did you get involved in transitioning from your playing career to the coaching slash management side? And, uh, you know, what were you doing in between, uh, your, your minor pro career ending and getting into to management and coaching? Well,
2: first I found out, uh, probably about an hour and a half ago, that what's my thousand game. I didn't even realize that, that milestone was there. It seems I could spend a lot more than that for the, <laughs> the, the years for the year, uh, what's happened in Atlanta and so forth. But, uh, you know, when I played, uh, you know, I went to Europe for a couple of years, came back, and uh, Rick Dudley had called me about coming in and being a player assistant with him Flint, Michigan. I had a uh, year before had decided that I was going to retire and kind of look at coaching opportunities and management opportunities. And I started my own business. It was in the portable toilet business, uh, which is lots of good jokes about that one. Um, and then Rick Dudley called me in Flint and asked me to come in as player assistant coach, did that for a year. And then Rick left to go uh, to the New Haven Nighthawks. And I was offered the coach GM job. I was 28 years, in, years old, probably way in over my head. And but that's where the career started.
3: So you were in the portable toilet business. Um, did that keep going while your, your coaching career started?
2: Yeah, I, I, I owned the business. I kept going for about another uh, five years. Actually, my sister ran the business for me. Uh, and you know, at that time, you we weren't making a lot of money in the uh in the minors, so you know, in the summertime, you know, I worked
1: the business daily, so it was
2: uh lots of ups and downs with the job
1: <laughs> uh don we'll we'll get to your manager career, but I want to go back to to you as a player and and Frank alluded to it. Uh, I think you broke your leg right near the end at the nineteen eighty and everybody knows about the miracle on ice like we always talk about adversity and I, I can't imagine how, how just heart wrenching that would have been for you. One of the final cuts. And the only reason you're cut is because you break your leg. How, how did you deal with it? Did it w- was watching it enjoyable or was it really frustrating watching that 1980 Olympic team? No,
2: it was very enjoyable after being, you know, spending a lot of time with the players uh, at different uh, sports festivals, And then I went to Europe with the team uh, in October, November there and was with them uh, at Christmas time when I got hurt. So, uh, you know, you you build up a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships. So, uh, watching uh, the Olympics, I watched every minute of it, and I couldn't be more proud for all those players and and coaches and management. But I felt a part of it. So, uh, you know, right after, I can remember uh, days, I think it was the second day after they won, I got a very nice call from Mike Rizzioni um, and then, you know, went on from there. But so, yeah, I, I felt very lucky to be a part
1: of it. And, you know, you were playing at that time as a player. Can can you kind of talk about just how that was really the jumping off point for hockey in the United States? Like, you know, it's a very patriotic uh, country and a lot of people suddenly is like, damn, we just beat the Russians. Like the political landscape at that time was very different than now. How did hockey change, you know, at all the levels after that? Well, you, you
2: know, I point back, you know, I was very fortunate to play in the first two World Junior Championships in 76 and 77. One was in the Czech Republic, was, then one was in Czechoslovakia, and one was in uh, Canada. And nobody even knew what the World Juniors were about. And, you know, today it's one of our biggest tournaments going on. Um, and then here, fast forward a couple of years to the 1980 Olympics, especially with everything going on, as you said, in the country and the world. Um, I think it springboarded uh, hockey in, in you know every state in our union here that, um, you know, now we're dropping players from every place. You know, I think accommodation, the awareness of the 80 Olympics, obviously I think uh, Wayne Gretzky's trade to LA was a big one too for, uh, for the South, but uh, you, you take what happened and, and everybody's talked about the Miracle on Ice movie, you know, Players today, I know our players were alive at that time. I've really enjoyed it.' I asked a lot of questions about it, which has been fun to answer. so there certainly uh, that history will never go away from us.
3: How accurate was that movie, Don?
2: I think it was pretty darn accurate. There, there, there's a few things that are a little different that, uh, when I was with the team, but uh, uh, you know, it, it was very, very close to a lot of things that had happened.
3: So you're from Detroit and I happen to notice that a lot of your minor league time was spent in the state of Michigan. Um, you know, how it just, can you talk about the hockey route, your hockey roots there, uh, and what being from there means to you?
2: Yeah, no, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had three older brothers, a, a mother that was very, uh, dedicated to allowing us to play the game and, you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, I played a lot of my uh, minor hockey for Little Caesars, which is owned by the Illich family. Uh, very dedicated to youth hockey, and uh, uh, so you know, and, and the level was very good. You know, it, being right across the border from Windsor and and all the places in, in Ontario there that we used to travel to, so it was a great experience for us and great competition. But uh, you know, my my have that opportunity to play youth hockey and grow not only as a player, but as a person and end up at uh, Northern Michigan, uh, you know, something that uh, stays with me forever.
1: When you looked on at, at your career and, you know, some people go management, some people go coaching, you, you had two short stints as a coach. Why was management better for you?
2: Yeah. Um, I think early in my career, I uh, had two years, I had the first year in Flint where I was coaching GM and certainly uh, enjoyed the management side more than the coaching. Uh, not that I didn't like the coaching, but uh, if you're picking one, and then the second year, uh, it's just a the manager. Then I went to San Diego and uh, first year hired Mike O'Connell as our coach. And the second year we went through an ownership change and they asked me to coach So I coached that whole year as coach and GM. And, you know, it was pretty clear at that time uh, that, that, I really like the business side of our sport. And, you know, we forget about, you know, this is, you know, obviously making decisions on hockey players, but it's a big business. You know, we can't forget that the amount of money that's being spent, you know, to run these teams and and to pay these players. And, you know, it's a $150 million business. uh, I enjoy the business side of the sport. And so that's where the direction that I really focused on and I've been very fortunate since then.
1: So, you talk about the business side of it, Don, and you mentioned, you know, you had Herb Brooks as a coach, and you know, people talk about what a great communicator he was. the The business side is, is kind of different, and you still obviously have to be a great communicator because you oversee all the different aspects. And in Carolina, it, I think you're wearing like 15 different hats in, in, in the different roles that you take. Is is because of you talked about your, you know, your your business uh, on the side, the porta potty one. You so you just kind of have a little bit of maybe an entrepreneur in you and and that kind of just connects to the big businesses is is that what excites you about it no it
2: definitely does And you know I've enjoyed I've been I'm involved in a few businesses as uh, silent with a lot of things that I own and and invested in so I really enjoy the business side of uh, of making something work Uh, I've been a big real estate person through my whole career I've been very fortunate there so running and making things work here you know it's it's you know, we needed to. Uh, when I got here, you know, the franchise was pretty low um, because of uh, how things have gone from a ticket sales standpoint. So, it, it was it was a fun challenge, and we knew what we had to do was prepare. We, once the team got uh, where it was more competitive and making the playoffs we had to be ready to take advantage of that. And I give a lot of credit to our staff, our senior management, to capitalize on the the success we had because, you know, we went from a low of 4,000 season tickets to over 11,000 now. We're, you know, it wouldn't be possible without two things happening. The best marketing tool, obviously, is winning hockey games, but you also have to have a plan in place to be able to execute that.
3: So how do you juggle it all, Don? Like, how do you manage your time dealing with the business side, but also running the hockey side as well?
2: Well, I I have a little, uh, you know, I'm an early morning person. I'm usually at my desk by five in the morning. Um, And what I try to do is I spend that first couple hours for things that I need to focus on and and clean up. You know, I I look at someplace between 400 and 450 emails a day. I always try to start the day off fresh. I try to catch up to all those uh, before that once I need to uh, before the day gets going. And then, you know, to me, you know, the organization, you you get, first of all, you got to surround yourself with good people. And if you have good people, you can count on them. Uh, But I'm a very open door policy. We don't need to set up. Don't try to get on my calendar. If you need 10 (laughs) minutes, just come down and, and let's meet for 10 minutes and get it resolved, whatever the issue is, you know? So you just, you find a way, uh, you know, and I try to, you know, practice time when the team's in the arena, I try to be, keep my calendar open so I can be around the coaches and, and whatever needs to happen there. So, um, you yeah, know, I, I, enjoy it. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been my life and, uh, hopefully it'll continue for uh, a little longer.
3: So if you're at your desk at five and you're answering emails and your, your team's playing late, like how, like, how do you squeeze in sleep? Like what's your What's your secret? Do you, yeah, do you, are you just not a sleeper? I'm not a sleeper when I don't
2: have to sleep, but I can go to bed. Uh, we had, uh, we, we just had a recent trip. We played in Detroit and we got fogged in and, and we got back at six 30 in the morning from playing in Detroit. And you know I just came right to the office and <laughs> skipped the sleep that night. And, you know, that, well, we're not playing, uh, I'll be honest. You know, I, I don't stay up late, you know, I was apologizing to one of the western gms yesterday and i haven't seen too many of their games because if we're not playing and it's getting past nine o'clock get close to ten o'clock i'm going to bed i try to watch all the games in the east of course so uh but it doesn't matter it's one of those i don't know if it's just the body it doesn't matter what time i go to bed uh, i'm always up at that time i never set an alarm clock ever and just get up and go look forward to the day i, I mean i look forward to every day i know we have we, I never have a bad day in this business. We have tough days in this business. There's no bad days. Bad days is when something bad happens to somebody's family or something like that. These, we, have, we have tough days, but we also have many more good days.
1: You mentioned that when you're not playing, and this season more than ever, you know you're only playing teams in your division. Don, have you found it harder? Like we're we're getting closer to the trade deadline. Like, are you going to have to trust your scouts more? Do you have to go back and watch video just because you're like usually you would see these teams at some point, but now you're not. How, how much of a challenge is that uh, heading into the trade deadline for a very good team?
2: No, I think it's a, a great question because uh, you know way we, we, we we're set up uh, and we have been. You know, we have some scouts on the road, but but we have a whole set of scouts that are just video scouts and we're, they all have teams. So you're going to rely on their reports. And then, you know, yesterday, we, anytime a player comes up of an interest, then we, we, you know, get everybody on the phone and let's talk about it. So it's a little bit more of a challenge, but I think this is where, again, if you've got good people in your organization that are dedicated to what they're doing and, and you trust their opinion. You know, we're very collaborative here. Everybody's involved in decisions. When we make a decision, obviously somebody's got to be held accountable for it, and that's me. But we all, uh, you know, nobody, one person makes a decision here. Everybody's involved.
1: Don, how would you describe Don Waddell, the GM, when it comes to trades? Are you like, are you an aggressive guy? Do you, do you, do you, you play, do you slow play it? Uh, you know, how has that evolved, you know, the, the conversation when it comes to trades over the years for you as a GM?
2: Well, I've made a lot of them and I made a lot of big ones. Uh, you know, I, I always joke, there's few guys, uh, over the years, if you trade, if you call them and offer them a first round pick for a third round pick, they'll have to tell you, they'll get back to you. Um, you know, so I look at, it, you know, you have to know what you want and, you know, everybody's worried about, uh, we all are about, you know, what you're giving up. But I always say, uh, If you're going after the player, you know which guys you can afford to give up, but don't worry so much about uh, what you're giving up as much as what you're getting. And if you're getting something that really helps your hockey team that everybody's uh, on board with, just go get it done. So I I feel like once those conversations start and you start focusing on, I've always felt that uh, we'll be able to get a deal done.
3: Do you feel like with, with that motto sort of driving you that you might be a little bit more aggressive or willing to tinker with your team than most? Yeah, I think so.
2: I, I think that's uh, you know. Uh, let's face it. I have an owner, Tom Dunnan. That's uh, very uh, passionate about the team. Uh, likes to uh, be involved, know what's going on, and everything else. And you know, he, his just he, we won eight games in a row, and you know, he wants to know why we didn't win nine games in a row. He's a driver uh, in a good way, and so you know, he always you know, he's a challenge every day, you know, who have you talked to, what's going on in the hockey world. And, um, you know, he wants to be as best as we possibly can. You know, we're a team that spends the cap and wants to be at the cap for, for a long time. Uh, so, you know, he's committing the the dollars, the resources to give it this best opportunity. So we have to make sure that we're on top of things uh, that can potentially make our hockey team better.
1: So, so when with- you talk about it, Oh, sorry, Frank, go ahead.
3: No, no problem with that challenge in mind. Like, what are you looking at? Like if in an ideal world, is there a position or hole that you'd like to fill for your team at this deadline?
2: Yeah, you know, like, like everybody, you know, we, we really like our team. Uh, you know, we got a few injuries right now we're fighting, but, you know, a right-hand shot defenseman, I'm to be honest, would be something that uh, I've asked around about. Um, and then, you know, another top nine forward, potentially uh, easier said than done. Uh, But, you know, uh, as you go through this, especially this short year, our roster, uh, we've played now half the season. We've played one game with our full roster, and that was opening night. Since opening night, between COVID and injuries, uh, we haven't had our full roster. So, you know, hopefully at some point we get that back. But the way the season is and everybody's dealing with it, you know you're going to have some other issues. So we're also looking at all our all our positions from a depth standpoint to see is there some guys that are out there that we can maybe just take the money. Um, you know, we're not in the business too much right now of trading too many assets. It's, we traded a lot last year at the deadline to get some of the guys. Uh, so, um, you know, right shot defenseman, top nine forward, and maybe potentially some depth is what we'd be focused on.
1: Don, you mentioned you made some big trades over the years. Obviously, you know, the Heatley for Hosa, two legit scores. We trades like that just don't happen very often in the NHL. Your recent one with Calgary was a big one. Take me back to the Heatley Hosa. Like, how long does it take when you when you have like two legit, you know, scores going the other way? Was that a quick or was that like weeks and weeks of conversation before that trade was finally finalized?
2: No, uh, that was about uh Brian Murray and I did that deal in less than 24 hours. Uh, because we also knew that when you're dealing with these high-profile guys that, you know, you guys in the media love these stories. And so uh, I I truly don't remember, but I don't think that ever broke before we made it because it happened very quickly. You know, obviously Danny Heatley uh, uh, was drafted by us. was a great player for us. Unfortunately, uh, we all know what happened. And, you know, the change of scenery, uh, his agent at the time, just said you know it might make sense if there's a uh, opportunity and that was on the weekend I can remember it was a weekend and I I wasn't surprised at all by the phone call and so on uh uh, I believe it was a Monday if I remember right um you know I I told his agent I said you know I'll uh I'll check around and, and you know the agent was pretty on top of things and said uh you know Ottawa might be in for uh a, a look at this too. So, I then Brian Murray and I talked one morning, and I think by eight o'clock that night we had the deal figured out, and we announced it and moved on.
1: So, how much does trust? play a role as a general manager. So when you're having conversations, and I know there's lots of times where players names, you know, you're discussing, I like this guy, but we might have to give up him. If a team asks for this guy or that, that, that you trust the guys you're talking to don't leak that out. And then suddenly it comes back and your guys in his room saying, what, you want to trade me? How, how do you deal with that? And if you ever got burnt by that, did it, did it, were you leery to, to negotiate with a certain guy again?
2: Well, what happens for everybody, um, uh... You know, you try to keep things – you know, there are certain GMs when you talk to, and they say, you know, uh, you know, please keep this quiet. And, and you, you might talk to, you know, very few people, one or two people, and, and not any emails or texts or anything about it, just, you know, a couple of phone calls because it is a dangerous thing. Um, I've been on both sides of it, and it's not fun, that's for sure. You know, you know when, you're, when you start throwing things out to your group I and mean, it's 15, 18 people – Tendencies, it's going to get out, and that's what you want. To, you don't want to happen. So, uh, I've been involved with the deal even uh, recently, where they just asked that team uh, try to, you know, keep it out. And you know, there's only a few people in the organization. That we've talked about it. So, uh, you know, you got to try to respect as much as you can because you can be on the other side of it too. So, I think you know, through the years, this has gotten a lot better. Um, I can remember days in Atlanta where you pick up the phone and call somebody and within an hour, you know, you're hearing about it, uh, through the media. So I think it's gotten better and we got to continue to uh, try to protect each other's privacy.
3: I thought you were going to try and give us a, a plug to the insiders there. Like, like the talent that's involved with getting that information out.
2: Well, there's no doubt you guys are the best, uh, you know, Frank, I know, I know you work it daily and hourly, uh, uh, and I know that I respect that's your, your job to uh, find information. And, you know, it, it, again, you know, especially with players today with no trades and all that, there's more of the agents are involved. There are a lot of people. And I know, uh, you know, if I was sitting in your seat, you know, I'd be doing the same thing because obviously you'd be want to be the person or, or your organization to be able to break news like that. So I, I, I respect it. I, I don't ever have a problem. I mean, uh, people call, text me all the time and, I try to give them what I can give them without giving them much. Uh, that's really uh, sensitive.
1: So Don, as it's evolved now, and you you talked openly about what you want in Carolina and the challenges this year be- because of COVID, but one of the nuances has been the mini series, right? Uh, two in a row, sometimes three, the odd time four. And you know, the freaky one of seven between St. Louis and Arizona. But do, do you think it's realistic to, to have you know maybe 25 or 30 percent of games next year be these type of mini series for for excitement level for fans but also cut down on travel and everything else and better for the players do you think that's something that would benefit the league moving forward
2: yeah i can only speak from our, our experiences uh here in carolina uh we, we certainly uh think like you said the financial side is uh, is a piece of it uh we spent a lot of money uh you know, on travel and that. But I think more importantly, it's the wear and tear for our players. And so I think having that opportunity to play uh, in the same city uh, consecutively has been something that we uh, have uh, enjoyed. Our players, I know, like it a lot better. And saying that, you know, we've been in Detroit twice now. We won the first and lost the second. We went to Chicago, won the first, lost the second. We went to Columbus, won the first, lost the second. It's hard to win two games in a row on the road. But saying that, I still think when you you weigh all the factors uh, that the benefits of it, um, I know our players, I've talked to them uh, multiple times about this. Uh, they enjoy it. Uh, and again, when you start looking at, you know, the expense side of our business, you know, we spend four to five million dollars on travel every year. If we can cut something of that back, it's uh, something that we should look at also.
1: And, you know, there's been some talk of of maybe trying to find a way to add a few more rivalry games. Who who would be the biggest rivals for Carolina that you'd like to play more moving forward? Well, it's, it's our, probably our
2: biggest uh, quiet rivalry, which has been really good lately, is Nashville. And they're in the, you know, in, in a normal year, they're in the Western Division and we're in the East. But uh, uh, Washington would be at number one right now. Uh, Washington, And then uh, we, for some reason, uh, I know why, but uh, uh, Pittsburgh has always been good, but Pittsburgh, you know, we have a lot of uh, transplants here in the, the North Carolina area from Pittsburgh. And then when you're one of the best teams in the league, that always brings the best out of uh, your team to try to compete with them. So if I look down, you know, those are a couple of teams that certainly uh and people really enjoy when they, uh, when they come to
3: town here. So, last two for me, Don. Um, <clears throat> one, the Thrashers were such a big part of your life for so long. Did you spend any time after they moved paying attention to Winnipeg, and how how closely did you follow them? Oh, a
2: hundred percent. You know, uh, Kevin off ran my farm team for I can't remember six, seven years or whatever it was before he became assistant GM with the uh, Blackhawks. Chevy's a very good friend of mine still is the assistant GM. Larry Simmons was with me for uh, all 11 or 12 years is still the assistant GM up there. And they kept almost all our scouts initial. I'm uh, moved on now, retired or whatever. But so I really felt uh, uh, good about them. I I rooted for them. Um, I thought, uh, you know, because not only the staff, but a lot of players, obviously that, uh, went up there at the time. So I did follow him very closely, uh, Frank. And, uh, uh, I always enjoyed, and I'd love to play him sometime in the Stanley Cup finals.
3: That'd be good. And, and last one for me, I'd be remiss to not ask about two really key extensions for your franchise, uh, coach Rod Brindamore and also Dougie Hamilton.
2: Yeah. Rod, Rod, I've had lots of conversations. Uh, Rod's a, uh, career, coach that's focused. He's, I've been with a lot of coaches and he's just focused on coaching as anybody I've ever seen. And it doesn't matter if we're not going to play for a week, he's still thinking about coaching. So I've had lots of discussions with great discussions and uh, we're, we're getting close. It's just a matter of time. And I'm, you know, 99.9% that Rod will be our coach for this franchise uh, in the upcoming years for sure. So, uh, you know, Dougie, uh, JP Berry's his uh, representation. We've uh, had many talks, talked again last weekend. And, and we both have said, you know, let, Dougie wants to stay here. We've talked to him. He wants to stay here. We want to keep Dougie. We love Dougie. He fits in well with our team. Coaches like him. So we've kind of said, let, let's just stay to the back of the year. It's one thing when a player wants, we know wants out of here. It comes down to numbers. It's, you know, it's it's part of the business of getting a contract done, but, you know, when you got a player, we all know sometimes you have a player that's going to chase the money. Players, the, the first chance are getting out. I truly think Dougie wants to stay here. So, you know, we, we've kind of uh, decided uh, that it would be best for both. But let's just wait at the end of the year. Let's sit down and uh, see if we can hammer out a deal, put it on the back burner so Dougie can worry about playing hockey at this point.
1: And uh, before we get to rapid fire, Don, I just want to ask uh, Frank alluded to it in the intro that you you did play one game in the national hockey league, which, you know, it's it's the hardest league in the world to play in. Um, Some guys that we've had on the show over the, over the years have talked about, you know, when they had those brief stints that there was a time where they, you know, it ate away at them, that they weren't able to stay there longer. Was it hard for you? Was that a motivating factor Or, or were you okay with, with getting that one game and saying, Hey, you know what? That's just what I was in my career was a one game. Yeah,
2: no, you always want to play more, but I'm thrilled to death. You know, I, I remember getting a call in January of uh, 81 uh, to go up and, you know, get the opportunity to play in the old form there and really have the ability to get scored on the first shift, too, uh, by Ron Grestner. Uh, Jerry Korob was my partner, and Grestner came down. I remember, Grestner played both forward and D, and came down on the left side. I was the right D playing as a one-on-one, and, came over to give him the big hip check that king cog could do it kind of missed ron and hit me and uh, i remember i went the ice i'm laying on my on my uh, stomach as gresher goes in and top shelf's for school on mario sard couple minutes into the game so it's one that i can't forget anyways uh but yeah you know i, I was up with the team for a while uh took a few pre-game skates uh before warm-up uh Uh, One actually in Detroit, which would have been uh, kind of exciting. And then uh, but didn't get that opportunity to play. But, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've had uh, my life's been great. My career has been uh, very good. I'm proud to say that I have the opportunity to play that one game in the National Hockey League and still be a part of it at this day.
1: So do you, do you get excited when you get to watch guys in your organizations, you know, play that first game? Because like this many years, it's over 40 years later and you still remember the shifts like very intimately. Is that like a cool thing when you talk to those players and they finally, you get to see them all achieve that dream?
2: A hundred percent. A lot of cases I like to call the parents aptitude. And I've talked to one just recently because i think you know the the players right now are living in the moment the parents have done all the work to get the kids to these in most cases to this point so uh yes i do i really do uh, pay attention to it Um, i'm proud for these guys uh, because you just know how many players are trying to get to this level especially as hockey's expanded uh, throughout north america uh you know the percentages are so so low you know it's like buying a lottery ticket um so you know to see a guy make that make that uh level and be able to play at least one game and who knows how long his career is always very satisfying
1: all right so don now we're going to end with a rapid fire the only rule is uh, you have to answer the question (laughs) Uh, here we go uh we'll we'll start with an easy one um after a big win uh what is don waddell's uh, relaxing cocktail of choice uh
2: number one and all the time is uh a Good glass of Pinot Noir
1: red wine. Okay. Um, has Rod Brindamore ever invited you to work out with him? Wow. Uh, uh,
2: no, not not officially. We work out side by side sometimes, but <laughs> uh, I, I try to hide out, actually. When I know he's in a weight room, I try to go the other direction, to be honest with you.
1: Does he ever, does he ask you to uh, to spot for him or, or try to keep up to him?
2: No, he knows better. Not, not a
1: chance. Okay. Um, what was the most satisfying trade you've made in your career?
2: Most satisfying trade. Oh boy. It, it, you know, I know we talked about the heat we because we traded good players for good players. Uh, you know, I, I remember one with uh, Ray Ferraro which what uh, wasn't a big trade, but, that's, but you know, Ray was a big part of our team there, and he was getting toward the end of his career. And so I went and I talked to him. I said, Ray, do you want to try to go someplace? And, you know, he really did, and he told me which team. And so I was fortunate to be able to work it out. It wasn't a big trade, but, you know, you feel good about – a lot of times in this business, you feel bad about doing things. That one I felt really good about, you know, like I said, the intentions here are never to hurt anybody personally. It's to do the best thing for your franchise. But in this case, I really felt there was something that was good for us and for Ray.
1: Looking back, was there ever a trade you felt it was going to happen? And then the other side backed out and, and it frustrated you?
2: Yes, for sure. Yes, for sure. And I won't say his name, but he, he works for the Pittsburgh Penguins
1: now as a president, but, when when that happens as a gm and you're so close how do you rebound like do you hold a grudge for a while Nah, not at all that there's always reasons that
2: we you know when you're not sitting in their room uh uh, having decisions uh being made because sometimes it's uh you know it could be ownership could be your coach could be a lot of different reasons why people change their mind and um you know I, I i've had lots of deals that i think are were pretty much done and and then don't happen i'm sure people feel the same way dealing with me but uh you know you just never know uh what's all involved uh, uh when you're making who's all involved when you're making a deal like some of the deals that are being made
1: um players talk about they love beating their friends and it's like playing your brothers so you want to stand the cup with ken holland in detroit is, is there that as a GM do you always you know, are you more comfortable making trades having conversations or do you shy away from trading with your good friends
2: well I kind of heard him this year when I took uh, his goalie off waivers and played a goalie <laughs> waiver period and the yes, you know I call him and I said you know we got to protect our franchise here but uh, I I think you, whenever you know somebody, and I, you know, being in the business for so long, and uh, having a lot of guys have been in these, they're easy conversations to deal because you you know you're gonna be, they're gonna be upfront with you, and you're gonna be upfront with them. There's no games. You know, it's just like I say with agents. You know, there's there's some agents. If I'm gonna pay somebody a million dollars, and depending on who the agent, I may have to start at a dollar because they're gonna start at two million, we'll end up at a million you know, uh, other guys, you get right to the number pretty close. If you're figuring to pay a guy a million, you might say it's 950 to a million, one where it's going to get, you know, so same thing as the GMs, you know, some guys, you know, you just have to be careful uh, when you're negotiating with them and, and looking at that, uh, you know, their ass might be a little bit uh, different than how you approach it. So you learn over the years uh, uh, doing deals. I think I've done it you know, except with the exception of maybe a few of the newer guys, but I think I've done
1: deals with everybody in the league uh, at some point. And who do you think was a better pure scorer, Kovalchuk or Heatley?
2: Oh, I'd have to take Kovalchuk as a goal scorer. Uh, boy, he could snap the puck. Um, you know, he, 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 he comes down that left side, you know, as a right-hand shot guy, he, he could score, you know, uh, Danny uh, obviously had better uh, playmaking abilities and Danny scored a lot of his goals uh, going, going in the net, um, you know, cause he was so good at the stick. But when you're coming down the wing, Kovachuk, you know, I used to say he's a game changer for both teams.
1: Um, <laughs> and lastly, what advice would you give to anyone in the porta potty business to have success?
2: Wash your hands a lot. Uh, uh, you, you know, it's, I always tell people all the time, it doesn't matter what your business ha, ha, enjoy what you're doing whenever you're doing it. Cause you're probably not going to do it for a lifetime, but if you put your time and commit to something, it could lead to something bigger. I've always said that. And that
1: one worked out for me. Oh, that's an awesome answer. Thanks so much, Don. You're welcome.
3: Really appreciate it, Don. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Enjoy the guys. Have a great day. Enjoy your 1000th game. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What an unbelievable story, Don Waddell. I'm telling you one of the most underrated back hockey stories. And and I, I love, I wish we could get a little bit more into the the portable toilet business, but so in, in talking to Don previously, he had said that his company slogan was your shit is my bread and butter. And I just like, to me, like I, I, it's so fantastic, but more to the point, exactly what he said in his final rapid fire answer, you know, it doesn't have to be your entire life's work, but you know, dig in and, you get started and it can lead to something better and look, you know, 1000 games as an NHL GM. Now there it's a pretty exclusive list that he's a part of.
1: Oh, it's, it's, and that's just as a GM, right? Because the, the four years as a president technically doesn't count for that. And I just, you look at what he overcame, imagine being that close to the Olympics and then breaking your leg and then you're, you're off that team. And then you get that one game taste of the national hockey league and you never got back. And, you know, I, I loved his response to that. Hey, you know what? You got to move on and, and you move forward, but he, he's, a, he's a great example for a lot of people that you just, you're always moving forward. And I loved what he said about, I don't have bad days. There's tough days but I don't have bad days unless there's a death or anything like that. And you know, we didn't really even get into, about. we
3: didn't even get into some of the other stuff. Like Don Waddell was raised by a single mother. His dad left his family. Like w- his life story is, is phenomenal. Like honestly, he was a small part of that miracle movie, but there's, there's something there. There's more stories to be
1: told. Oh, uh, he, he clearly knows how to deal with adversity and he, and he has perseverance and, and I also just loved his honesty, Frank, how, you know, uh, talked about guys that, you know, some guys, they come in and if I offered them a first for a third, they'd say, I'll get back to you because they just can't make a decision. And Don, do his credit. Like, I love that less than a day to make the Heatley for host a trade. Like that's one of the biggest trade. We don't see very often two guys in their prime being traded for one another and to have it uh, go down in less than a day is fantastic. So uh great get with Donnie today. That was awesome. Really good stuff. We, uh, well, Frank, that's another episode uh, have a great, uh, week. And we will talk to you on uh Friday as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Can't wait. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Valley and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.